0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the January 17th, 2020 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. You will see very quickly why this is going to be one of our smartest shows ever, having nothing to do with me, but you'll see why soon. Let's get a quick take on the Denver City Council potentially looking at a way to make pit bulls legal in Denver through a registration system proposed by Councilman Chris Herndon. He's now making the move to it's not a full uh, repeal of the pit bull ban, but it would be a new registration program. Patty Cahoon from Westward, it, it gets us halfway there. How would you describe this way? It's not not the repeal of the full ban, but it's, it should help pit bulls if it is passed.
1: It's pit bulls on probation rather than in prison, which has been the situ- situation really for 30 years. Mm-hmm. You know, as we break down other, <laughs> other stereotypes, pit bulls have been completely prohibited in the city of Denver When in other cities, more enlightened cities like Aurora, have gone to not breed specific issues, it's just a bad dog is a bad dog. So this is going to be an opportunity for pit bulls to prove they can be nice, too, in Denver.
0: (laughs) It's going being nice in Denver. Krista Kafer, Denver Post columnist, has joined us. It's great to have you back from all your various rural travels. We can get to to that later. Uh, Krista, it's been 31 years, as Patty said. Is it time to welcome pit bulls uh, along with all the other breeds of good dogs back to
1: Denver?
2: I agree. You don't have bad dogs, you have bad owners. And bad owners don't train their dogs, get their dogs fixed, they actually make their dogs aggressive. Those people should be held accountable. But good dogs, whether they're pit bulls or poodles, need to be treated, with, uh, with, treated humanely. And I remember when Westward broke the story of how many animals, good animals, including puppies, are put down every year. It's time to make a stop to that. I, I couldn't be more impressed with the city council. Very cool.
0: Natasha Garner, Articles Editor, 5280. It's wonderful to have you here. Uh, Natasha... Um Uh, Chris Hernan tried to do a a full full repeal of the ban last year. It didn't go very well. This registration program is kind of an attempt to kind of meet people in the middle. Do you think that might be the way to get this done in Denver?
3: I think so. I think it'll change the conversation dramatically than what it has been in the past past years. I do know that I've been in in Denver for over a decade, but when I got here, there's certain things that, especially as a reporter, you have to learn. You have to learn about Tabor. You have to learn about the Brown Cloud. You also have to learn that Coloradans love their pets. So be very careful about What do you say about them? Which makes this pit pit, um, bull controversy um, so interesting, the fact that it is such a topic of discussion. I went down a rabbit hole this morning looking at Reddit, and people have lots of opinions. So I think the sort of changes that they've made to this proposal will perhaps make it more likely to go through, but it's not going to be without a lot of conversation.
0: Leanne Wheeler, principal at Wheeler Advisory Group, joins us for the Good first time on the table. Thank you so Thank much for you. being here. You uh, Leanne, you're from Aurora. You uh, ran for city council and the at-large uh, candidates. Yes. Uh, how does Aurora handle uh, pit bulls? I think we got a little bit of a preview from Patty, but what's your insight on the situation?
4: You know, I'll share that uh, in Aurora, uh, year over year, our constituents were coming before council to say, listen, these are our pets. These are our beloved animals. Please uh, consider repealing any ban you would have on breed, and that's something that we've managed. Um, to accomplish in uh, Aurora City Council. So it's back um, six, seven years' uh, worth of dialogue. It's absolutely the right answer is to tie uh, an animal's um, behavior uh, to its ownership and how that that animal is handled versus its breed at the onset. There's something wrong. So it's the right move.
0: I see Aurora leading the way. We're trying. We're trying. Well, this week, Colorado Congressman Jason Crow was named one of the seven House impeachment managers for the impeachment case against President Donald Trump. One of his initial challenges will be to try to get the Senate to accept any witnesses or evidence in the trial. Senate Republican leadership is against the idea, but a few GOP senators are signaling being open to breaking ranks. Uh, Patty, uh, Representative Crow joins the growing list of Colorado Congress representatives that are making some sort of a, a splash in the impeachment uh, trial. Uh, what do you think of this uh, particular tapping of Jason Crow as one of the seven impeachment managers?
1: I think it was a surprise to most of us. when We, we saw Joe Neguse when he was on the com- committee doing a lot of questioning and then doing a lot of FaceTime on the big national news. We saw Diana DeGette do a great do a really great job of handling the impeachment process. And now Jason Crow is coming up. You know, he was a surprise, really, candidate to win in the 6th Congressional District, the first Democrat to win in, I can't remember how many years, since it was reapportioned. He was at Holland and Hart, so he's got a big, strong background in... Um, in prosecution but uh, and law, but he has three tours of duty mm-hmm. also in the military, which made him a very attractive candidate to the sixth and makes him really an interesting choice here. He knows what he's doing. He can certainly show grace under pressure. And he actually voted against Nancy Pelosi becoming Speaker of the House. So the fact that she reached out to him really says a lot about the direction they're going in. They are going for the best people on this team.
0: Chris, certainly uh, one impeachment manager does not the entire effort make, but this is significant for Jason Crow. He's a freshman. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the different things that Patty had listed, uh, including being an Army Ranger. Uh, what does it say for Jason Crow's political future to uh, have this uh, responsibility?
2: He may regret saying yes. I remember I was a congressional staffer back during the Clinton impeachment. Of course everyone who was on the Republican side was so certain that the entire country was super offended by President Clinton. I mean, he perjured himself in a sexual harassment proceeding. It, uh, it wasn't good. He tried to cover it up. It was obviously something wrong. Did it rise to the level of high crimes? In retrospect, I don't think so, but we were certain the, the nation was behind us, that they were as offended as we were. And so You know, he was impeached, but he didn't end up being removed by the Senate. And then I remember the next election, a couple of those impeachment managers lost their seats. I think people might be a little bit surprised that even though the president did abuse his power and he's not a nice guy, he's not a good guy. But I think that the average American is like yawn over this whole thing. I mean, it is a, a political proceeding. I think only your really hardened Democrats or really far left are that excited about it. So, it may end up affecting Jason Crow's election in a way that he doesn't anticipate. Mm. Natasha, let's keep
0: that going because I heard a report on the radio just this morning about an analyst thinking that it was going to be, or there wasn't a way for it to hurt Jason Crow. But uh, Chris brings up good points. Uh, CD6 is a uh, pivotal, it's, I think, well, I don't know the, the different numbers in CD7 anymore, but CD6 is a, a pretty well-balanced district. It's not uh, blue or red. It, it, it's pretty purple. Um, what does this do for Jason Crow, especially, and let's remember how the game was going to forget, it's an election year.
3: Interestingly, um, 5280 actually has a profile of Jason Crow this month. Um, our, our writer Casey Cordell really spent some time with him and examining just so, exactly who he is. And it was perfect because as soon as the news came out this week, the first thing I did is go back and reread that article because it really provides, um, sheds some light on, on how he might approach this. I think one of the major takeaways is that he, he takes his job very seriously, as anyone in Washington, D.C. should, but may not always be the case. Um, certainly has devoted his life to public service. I think it approaches things with a seriousness and and perhaps most importantly of all those characteristics, probably understands how this moment could define his career but is important for the country. And I think that, if anything, he might put that that uh, second statement um, first. So as far as how it will play out in the election, I mean, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen later today with <laughs> the impeachment um, information? I mean, we're, the news keeps on rolling out, whether it's uh, Trump's legal team or, or how they're going to do the rules, you know, and the fact that we now have a legal profession based around people who have experience in impeachment. Um, hearings because we've had so many of them. I mean, it's there's just such a moving target on all of this that to try to sit here and guess at what crow's uh, the impact might be on his election or reelection campaign. Um, it, it's just too many variables at this point.
0: You raise a good point. Talking about November at this stage of the game uh, is, is tricky at best, and it it it, it, do, it is kind of odd. Where this is how the chief justice handled it last time. Oh yeah, he was there, so it was. Uh, it's 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 a little wild. Um, so, uh, uh, Leanne, as you look at uh, Aurora, the, Jason Crow is your congressional representative. Um, what do you think, how, how is this going to affect Jason Crowe?
4: So not only is he our representative, he's my brother in arms. So I'm an Air Force veteran. And so I can tell you that um, the issue or the matter at hand for anyone who's ever served in this country is the pure disrespect and disregard for the U.S. Constitution. And so it occurs for me uh, that he said yes to this opportunity um, because he believes uh, in a commander-in-chief who would uphold the Constitution, and we have a clear breach here. Um, certainly politically, uh, there's there's. Um, a narrative or context that he has to be very, very careful of uh, in that this is an election year. Uh, but it occurs for me simply as we have a president who has run aground of the U.S. Constitution and we have a, a congressman who has served this country having taken the same oath and uh, that, that his litigation experience and his experience serving this country will inform uh, the way he manages that role.
0: Should be interesting to watch. Homeless people that were taking refuge in tents uh, in front of the state capitol and other areas around the city were moved along this week by the city. The city cited a rat infestation and health emergency as the reason for the move near the capitol, and also, uh, but different reasons in other areas of the city. Also this week, city council members were given tours the area homeless of uh, the area homeless shelters, many of which were found to be inaccessible for various reasons. Uh, Krista, there is no magic bullet to the larger problem. Let's concentrate on what the city is doing here. The city seems to be using whatever uh, particular uh, legal means they have necessary. It's not just the urban camping ban. It's a health violation. It's uh, things on a public uh, access. So. Uh, the city's intent on doing uh, the sweeps, regardless of what, what law is in place. Is that the right move? Are resources being dedicated in the right area?
2: Yes. I mean, you've got to get these tent cities out of there. If you look at the tent cities, you've got rats, uh, because there's food waste, there's human and pet waste. Uh, it is not a sanitary condition. Those folks that really want to move out of that situation, a lot of these these shelters are under capacity. They will take them in, help them get jobs, help them get cleaned up, help them get resources for addiction and other issues, and help them get into transitional housing. Those folks that don't want to do that, that would rather live on the street, that's a choice. And I think we need to recognize that. And that a choice, it affects other people. It affects those people who want to use the park, families, uh, other ind- individuals that want to use the sidewalks, want to use the parks and don't want to see rats or human feces. And so I think they're making some smart choices. Where I think we do need to look into is uh, deinstitutionalization back in the 50s and 60s. You do have folks in that group of people who are mentally ill. And mentally ill people um, need to be in a situation where they can get the help they need. And having, simply having access to outpatient services, I don't believe is enough. Um, So I do think the city is doing the right thing, but in terms of those who are mentally ill, getting them the services. Also, people need to stop paying beggars. If you feel strongly about this, give money to the Denver Rescue Mission, give it to other shelters for people, uh, Step 13 and others that will help these folks get out of the situation. But anytime you hand somebody a dollar, you're enabling them to stay in a situation that you would not wish on your worst enemy. So people need to take responsibility.
0: Natasha, what do you think of uh, the city's policies of basically using whatever laws they really need to, frankly, if it comes down to policies? When the urban camping ban came down as uh, at least being repealed and that, or found unconstitutional, rather, and uh, now it's in an appeal process, this thing the city needs to lean on that. So uh, does that, I guess, that, does that open up really what, how the city is approaching this camping ban or not?
3: Well, I think what's interesting is that this had kind of come up this summer with 300. There was sort of this talk of that this isn't the only tool that the city has or could use in these scenarios. Um, and now we're seeing them employ it in different ways. I mean, for a lighthearted moment, I just have to say something about the rodent problem in Denver and the metro area. I mean, we have the bubonic plague with uh, <laughs> prairie dogs last summer, and now we have rats um, in the middle of the city. I mean, I'm expecting a headline about squirrels at any, at any <laughs> date. Um, But in all seriousness, this is a city that in 2005 made a dedicated effort to end homelessness. That was supposed to take 10 years. We're well beyond that point yet, and there is no end in sight. We are throwing more money at the issue. That's great. The city council is touring and trying to find solutions. I do not want to say anything negative about people who are working hard on this issue because they are. It's just not enough. We're not doing what needs to be done to really address this issue. And I don't have the answer here today, but I certainly hope that the people who have been working on it keep working um, because there's something about sweeps and financing and and our city's movement right now that still isn't fixing this issue, which is how do we take care of fellow human beings that need help and need homes.
0: Leanne, as, as you look at the situation, what do you think um, the average Colorado needs to know about uh, as, as they're driving by the situation, we're seeing headlines of the city. Um, I don't think people are expecting to see uh, a, a tent city on the state capitol mm-hmm. lawn, um, mm-hmm. but I also see that there's, there's a lot of compassion out there that, that there's something needs to be done. Sure. So uh, what, what do viewers need to know?
4: And so, so the condition of being unhoused uh, on, on two points that were raised earlier, Um, If you're unhoused long enough, you will, in fact, turn to coping mechanisms that look like addictions. And so sometimes we get the order of things reversed when a person is experiencing homelessness. Um, What I do know is that uh, homelessness is a humanitarian crisis. We tend to paint a different narrative around that. But certainly central uh, to the seven-county region, we are in a full-blown humanitarian crisis uh, with regard to homelessness. Our budgets reflect our priorities. And so although we've seen an uptick in money that is being allocated uh, for a solution set, we don't see enough. As we look at other cities of similar size and capacity, those cities have invested more. Um, We have an opportunity here in Denver with 3,000 Houses of Faith to partner and create solutions. For instance, over in Aurora, uh, a new development is coming online, Providence at the Heights. It's a partnership with Elevation Christian Church. There was a unique funding source, and government uh, got out of the way. You know, government's role in this solution, actually, is to support and enable society and solving its own ills without creating more societal ills. And what we've done, what we've managed to do across the region is create more societal ills uh, that our courts are now having to intervene on uh, and it's just not a good look overall. So there's more that we can do, uh, and, and, and we being the citizenry, uh, as, as the, the yes on 300 cited, we can do better. It's time now that we do better.
0: Patty, Westford covered the heck out of the story. What are some of the details that uh, your reporters found that we need to know?
4: Well, among other things,
1: there are 15 laws in, D- in Denver alone that do affect how you can handle the homeless, whether it's um, going from not including 300, the, ca- the urban camping ban. And in some cases, those were brought out. Uh, for example, what everyone is missing is that park between Broadway and Lincoln is not a city park. It's not City of Denver. It's a state, f- it's a state park, so it's not affected by the curfew, that all Denver parks meet. So people could camp there because there wasn't an 11 o'clock curfew. There is at Civic Center Park. But the city was able to come in without much advance warning. You know, the city has agreed in a class action settlement that they will give seven days if they're doing a sweep. But this was a cleanup because no one really wants the health problem of the rats running around. And they, and we're talking about four legged rats, not the two legged rats, which we often see in that neighborhood, but um, up at the Capitol. But in this case, they really had a real threat to the public health, so they dealt with it quickly, but it's not, it's a very short-term solution. There are so many issues here. Denver's done a couple things right now. They've made um, some accessibility moves at Denver Rescue Mission. They put up blockers, which is one of the things, of course, they should have done a long time ago for the homeless. They want to stay with their stuff. They don't want to lose what they, the only things they own. And they've got a day shelter now. So there's progress, but it's all baby steps. There's no single answer, but we all need to keep working to find the real answer.
0: The implementation of Colorado's new red flag law made headlines this week as a Denver man was the first person to hand over his weapons under the new law. Meanwhile, a judge denied an extreme risk protection order for a Colorado State University police officer earlier this week. Uh, Natasha, clearly there's more to come on this. Uh, We have yet to have any interactions with any uh, Second Amendment sanctuary counties, things like that. But what do you think about the first initial interactions with this law?
3: Well, I think it's playing out as as many people might have expected. Um, What I'd be interested to see is people who've been working on this legislation for a long time, if they're surprised by the number, or think it's less than they may have anticipated to begin with. Um, But this is what's supposed to happen now. We've spent a lot of time talking about this legislation, and it's time to see how it plays out and how that impacts people's lives and um, potentially saves lives, and also whether legally we like the way that it is going to be enforced. So we have two examples that you already mentioned but there's been others already and um, we're really gonna see how this plays out because I don't think um, I mean maybe at some point we'll be able to say well this scenario happens x number of times but for a while here it's going to be very much a one-off situation these situations are unique and and we're gonna they're gonna play out in our um, public safety realm and and our legal realm but we're not the only state that's done this so we'll also be able to look at um, other places to see how they've dealt with it and sort of not just what happens in month one but month two and
0: three and four. Uh, Leanne, are, are you encouraged, at least from the, the initial cases that we're hearing so far, associated with the red flag law?
4: I believe we're too soon to tell. I'll just piggyback on, on what's already been said. My hope and expectation is that we've built in some strong evaluation around what is successful and what isn't successful. Um, we have a lot of narratives and, and, and context to overcome, Um, You know, we invoke often uh, the Second Amendment and what that means. Uh, And so I think that uh, should we have done a very good job of laying in evaluation of how well this works and that we're not just dealing with um, uh, anecdotal uh, data or evidence, uh, we'll know whether or not we're successful. But the good news is other states have tried it, and we have an opportunity to, 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 to evaluate how well we've done against those states who are a little further down the lane than we are.
0: Uh, Patty, there's a lot to unpack here. Take your uh, pick of the various sides of this and what you think.
4: Well, we saw yesterday
1: that on a case-by-case basis, you can say this does not apply. And that was in the case of the mother, the very obviously grieving mother, who filed, a case ag- filed for an order against the police officer who killed her son, who's been found to have done, um, done the right thing, or at least not at fault in that. So she had filed it. The judge threw it out. And, you know, that's one. If we continue to see common sense on how things are handled. There are other ways to handle um, a mother who lost her son. There could be a civil suit. There are a lot of things, but a police officer doing his job, the court recognized that he should be able to stay armed. So if we continue to see each one case by case and common sense prevail, it'll work.
0: Krista, uh, again we haven't seen the Second Amendment Sanctuary uh, counties come into uh, fight here. Uh, Is it too soon to tell? Have we learned anything from these first couple cases?
2: You know, I think, so far, so good. And I was concerned about the lack of due process. There's some due process, but not in that initial stage. And since I am sitting in the David Koppel chair, I have to point <laughs> that out. But it, so far, we've seen the courts and the sheriffs use discretion. So the same sheriff in Larimer County that uh, did not want to uh, deal with the, uh, the, the one that, that was dismissed by the judge the, against the sort of fraudulent claim Um, That same sheriff put forth an extreme risk protection order against uh, a man in jail who was making threats to do mass shootings. So I think it shows that sheriffs, at least so far, are acting prudently. The courts are acting prudently. Let's see if this stays or if we need to go back and tweak the bill. I think in order to keep that bill, or I should say now law, constitutional, probably do have to fix the due process issue.
0: Let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Miss Calhoun, please start us off.
1: Well, we've been talking a lot about seven ten a.m. on this show. We've had the Craig Silverman issue. We had the... Chuck Bonnewell issue. Yeah. We had the alleged Nazi producer issue. And now we've seen that there are ways, other ways to get rid of people who work for iHeartRadio. They have done massive layoffs across the country. We're just hearing about some of the hits that are also coming at, at the Denver location. And one of them is Jerry Schimmel, which is too bad. The voice of the Rockies, someone who has done a really good job at that station, has not embarrassed anyone. The Rockies do that themselves. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Krista.
2: So I want to give it to some of the Democrats at the legislature. and They put forth this bill to make the state of Colorado and its taxpayers pay for the first two years of, of student loans for Colorado graduates. If you consider that maybe half the state doesn't have a college degree, you're forcing the have-nots to give to the haves. Also people who paid off their own college bill, uh, college bills, college loans, people who ended up going to trade school, you're, you're, yeah, you're going to take from the, the have-nots and give to the have. So shame on them for that kind of regressive policy. Natasha.
3: I'm going to stick in the media channel, and frankly, we can probably do this every week. Um, but Streets Blogs Denver is, has lost its, its full time reporter, which, you know, it's sort of the small little publication that could, that really brought a ton of awareness to transportation issues in Denver at a time that it is so critically important, obviously. So sad to see that voice um, changing. Liam. Inaccessibility to the
4: shelter system. Um, I don't know how the city wasn't mortified and those who run those shelters weren't mortified when a representative of city council was not even able to take a tour of that facility. And as we think about folks who are unhoused and any pre-existing conditions they have being exacerbated by being unhoused, there there is a reason why some folks aren't accessing those shelters. And so certainly not being able to and and what appears optically um, as a lack of dignity in doing so um, was a disgrace on the week.
0: Time for the hardest but most positive part of the show and see something nice about somebody. Patty.
1: Well, last Friday, Denver lost two members of the media community and the greater community. They made it a better place to live. Heidi McGuire, who had worked at Channel 9 and then was an independent videographer, did some work here. Wonderful bright light. She passed away at the age of 38, which was way too soon. Also, Jim Burris, who was a journalist, had been working most recently for NIST up in Boulder but was an early editor at the Boulder Planet, which was a great paper, Mm -hmm. Editor at the Aspen Daily News. Just a great, great person who was always fun to meet, smart, made it a better place. So, two people who I know are drinking a beer up in heaven, but we're going to miss them here.
0: Here, uh, here, Heidi did some fantastic work with us with our partners with Comeback Yoga. Uh, Krista.
2: I'm going to give it to, uh, to Denver City Councilman Chris Herndon for his uh, attempt to get uh, pit bulls out of death row and out of prison to, to have them on probation and be able to have the good lives that they deserve. No, no breed should be banned. Um, bad owners should be held accountable. And I'm just I'm so happy. I'm wagging my tail. <laughs> <laughs> Natasha.
3: In the, other, in the middle of winter, other cities might sort of stay inside and people you know, watch movies or Netflix all day. But Denver, no. Um, people are going to be going to the stock show this weekend. People are gonna be marching in the Women's March. And then in addition, this is of course a weekend where we celebrate the legacy of Martin Luther King and the Maire will be happening as well. So get out of your houses.
0: <laughs> Lots of good reasons, absolutely. Here, here. All good stuff. Leanne.
3: So I'm sure you've heard in the city of Aurora
4: we had some voting anomalies um, during our last municipal election. And so I am tickled beyond um, exuberance about the recent appointment of Peg Pearl uh, as Arapahoe County Director of Elections. She ran in Denver for Denver City Clerk and Recorder, and I actually used her as support um, when we were having to, to to deal with a recount on uh, some of the ballots. And so she is on board, uh, and I'm excited for what that means for Arapahoe County, our electorate process, and our ability to uh, to uh, trust it. So
0: thank you. Well, that's, uh, that's great news. And before we leave tonight, I have some great news to remind you that. Uh, Uh, We are taking the show on the road. That's right. Colorado Inside Out is going on the road and you are invited. Tuesday, January 28th at 1 p.m. Join us at the Academy for Lifelong Learning at 6500 East Gerard Avenue. It's basically Hampton and Monaco. It's really easy to find. It's a special live in-person edition of Colorado Inside Out. We'll be breaking down all the big election stories in Colorado and the whole 2020 election that we've been talking about for a while. And we'll be answering your questions in the audience. We have room for, I think, just about 300 folks. So it is... Is free to get in, but if you want to be sure you have a seat saved, RSVP by emailing rsvpcio at gmail.com. We will hope to see you on the 28th. We are excited to be partnering with the Academy for Lifelong Learning. This is a part of a big free day at the Academy that they're doing it starts at 10 a.m. So you can start your morning with a couple of really cool classes that are again free, have a lunch that's there, learn more about the Academy, and then stick around for CIO on the Road. It's going to be a lot of fun. We hope you can join us. For everybody here at Colorado Inside Out and CPT 12, I'm Dominic Dazudi. Thank you so much for watching. Good night. <music>